freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcast subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, it's a continuation of the 50th episode where I answer more of your questions so that you can learn more about me. But first things first. Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Bruce Anthony here, and welcome to another episode of Unsolicited Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately, the importance of staying hydrated and taking care of ourselves. Whether it's prioritizing our health and wellness or gearing up for festival seasons or just gearing up for whatever season or time of year, there's one brand that's been my go-to for all things hydration, Liquid IV. Speaking of health and wellness, let's dive into how Liquid IV can fuel your well-being. Imagine starting your day off right, feeling refreshed and energized. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is the missing piece in your daily routine. With just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. It's perfect for those early mornings, pre-workout boosts, moments when you're just feeling run down, or even after a late night or long flights. I absolutely love how convenient Liquid IV is. The packaging makes it easy to bring with me wherever I go. And let me tell you, it's become vital daily part of my routine. The flavors, <laughs> let me tell you something, they're incredible. From refreshing sea berry and strawberry lemonade to classics like lemon lime and watermelon, there's a flavor for every preference. It's like a burst of hydration with a hint of deliciousness. Picture this. One stick of liquid IV mixed in 16 ounces of water, hydrating you two times faster and more efficient than water alone. And with 12 mouth water and flavors, you'll never get bored with your hydration routine. Plus, liquid IV is packed with five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and of course, vitamin C. It's also made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free of gluten, dairy, and soy. This is hydration at its finest, but it doesn't stop there. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. That's why they partner with leading organizations finding innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. It's incredible to know that Liquid IV has already donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. They truly walk the talk. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code unsolicited at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code unsolicited at liquidiv.com. Remember, folks, taking care of ourselves should always be a priority. So why wait? Head over to liquidiv.com, pick your favorite flavors, and experience hydration like never before. Stay refreshed, stay hydrated and keep rocking those unsolicited perspectives.
So this is a continuation from the 50th episode where my sister interviewed me, where it was well received and you guys really liked the fact that I was vulnerable and opened up and told you about personal aspects of my life. And there was a lot of questions that were left on the cutting room board. So take it back to old school where there was a, a side A and B of a, of a, a, a record or a tape. You got the A side and the B side. That was the A side. That was uh, the, where my sister interviewed me. Uh, this would be the B side of those questions that didn't make the cut room floor. But some people said afterwards, hey, I would have really liked to have gotten an answer to my question. And I said, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll do another episode where I answer some. Once again, some of those questions, because some questions got a little too personal and asked. And, and it's not it's not me being you know, closed off, not want to answer personal questions. This is like some of these questions were like too personal and stuff that I just quite frankly, didn't, didn't care to share. So I don't know. I'm going to go through maybe about eight or nine of these questions and, and give my, uh, give my honest answers. Some of them legitimately were wanting my advice on certain things. And I was like, you want advice from me? Okay. Well, you know, uh, I guess people like my point of view of, or my unsolicited perspective on certain things. So, um, yeah, they wanted to get a little bit of my advice on certain questions. So, um, I haven't really, I mean, I know what the questions are, but I haven't really thought about it. Um, I'm just going to answer them and whatever comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth. That's, that's just how we're going to roll with it. I tend to be brutally honest with the first things that I say and more measured when I have time to think about it. And I'm just going to be brutally honest to you folks out here because that's what y'all deserve because y'all have been such great listeners and watchers uh, of the podcast. And this is my way of saying thank you. Uh, so if you're watching uh, the podcast on YouTube, you'll see me look down a little bit because I have uh, all the questions on my phone. And uh, okay, so that's what we're going to be doing for this episode. So you guys wanted to know more about me and I'm going to give you the B side of uh, that personal interview where I'm just going to answer your questions. I'm not going to have my sister interview me. All right. So the very first question, how did your early relationships shape your personality and your outlook on relationships today? Um, I think I answered a little bit about this uh, in the earlier um interview with my sister, but it maybe didn't expand upon it. So like I said, my family moved around a lot and I went to, there was never any time I, I'm looking at uh, renewing uh, the lease of where I live now. And I've officially lived here longer than I've lived in any one spot my entire life. Meaning that there's, there's, Growing up, there has never been a time where I lived in one spot more than five years. This is the absolute longest I've lived anywhere in my entire life, and I'm about to turn 43. So that was not like I wasn't exaggerating when I said we moved around a lot. And that uh, it was almost like we were in the army. You know, you hear about those stories about those army kids that are moving all around the place, and, and we were kind of like that. Um, how did those early relationships shape my personality? Let's start with that question first. Um, I think that having to adapt to new areas and new people so constantly, 
Um, I developed, I don't know if I developed it or if it's just something natural because both of my parents both have it. You know, I have this quick wit. Um, you know, everybody, my sister's hilarious. My brother's hilarious. You know, I'm fairly funny. So my personality has always been kind of a jokester. Um, anybody that knows me personally knows that uh, I like to have fun and clown around. And that if I don't make a joke on you, then I don't really like you. Um, what that means is, is like, I, I love people joking on me and I love joking back with them. It's all in good fun. So my personality has always been, hey, let's have fun. Let's kick it. Uh, let's have a good laugh, right? Like that's that's my main thing. How it shaped my outlook on relationships. Um, mm, huh. Well, I, I through therapy, I've learned that I am distant. You know, almost every woman I've ever dated said I'm distant. I think there's only one woman that I dated and it was for a short period of time that she would say that I opened up and expressed myself. My boys that have known me forever say that I'm secretive and, and I don't talk about stuff. You guys saw it on the very first episode where my sister gave my actual birth date. Uh, and I was like, yo, you give them out that information. Um, I'm very private. Some people would say, well, we know things about you, but they don't, right? Like they know surface level stuff, but they don't really know deep down stuff. And I think I developed that brick wall or that barrier just because you could never really get close to people because you were always kind of moving on. Um, so you, you learn kind of early that your friendships aren't going to last for that long because you're going to be moving on to the next city. And this was all before technology uh, made it so that the world got smaller. Back when I was growing up, if you moved an hour away, that was it. Hell, sometimes you moved a half hour away. That was it. You pretty much weren't seeing your friends again. So, yeah, when you moved from Illinois to Virginia and then from Richmond and Lynchburg and then from Lynchburg to, you know, D.C., um, those are hours. You know, Richmond and Lynchburg is a two hour drive. Any friends that I made in Richmond were not going to be my friends anymore when you're nine, 10, 11 years old. Same thing with I had a, I had a best friend in, in Lynchburg. And we were like brothers. And the day that I moved the, the last day, the day before I moved from Lynchburg to the DC, me and him were driving around. And I'd known this guy since I was eight years old or around that time. And we were 16 at the time. So we're driving around and he just, he just yelled out, man, this sucks. I'm losing my best friend. And before that, point. We never really said, yo, this is my best friend, but everybody kind of knew like it was me and him, him and me like all the time, but we had never said it to each other. Guys kind of, kind of don't do those things. You're just friends. And uh, he was like, I'm, I'm losing my best friend. And I was like, yeah, I'm losing my best friend too. And, uh, you know, through phone calls and then AOL instant messenger had kind of started then we maintained contact and, and I would come down uh, to Lynchburg to visit. He never would come up to DC to visit. That became part of the problem. And then, um, it, it, he went to JMU and I went to Maryland and I visited him a couple of times, JMU, maybe once, maybe once, uh, once we got to college, there was a drift, but then he moved to the DC area after, um, 
after college and went to grad school in the area and we hung out for a little bit. But by that time, you know, we were 22, 23 years old. Things were a lot different than when we were 16 and we kind of fell apart. The last time I saw him in person, it was right after I got engaged and me and my two other closest friends uh, were out at a bar kind of celebrating my engagement. And I looked across the bar and they had met him before. Um, I looked across the bar and I was like, yo, I think that's my boy from that I grew up with. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that looks like him. I was like, that is him. I'm going to go over there and say, what's up? So I walked over there, bought him a round of drinks, uh, said, what's up to him and everything like that. We, we, we chopped it up a little bit, told him that I was getting engaged. He congratulated me. Um, I said, Hey man, you know, before you, uh, leave out of here, let me, uh, you know, let's, let's get contact information. Let's, let's get up. Cause once again, this is man I've known since I was a little kid at this point, I'm 29, 30 years old. Um, and there was a little bit of a falling out in between those years of 23 to 29, but, uh, like at the end of the night, I'm closing out the tab with my two main boys and I look across the bar and I was like, yo, I think that dude left without saying goodbye. And they were like, he did. And I was like, damn, that's a little, that's a little jacked up that he did that. And they was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I I wouldn't done nothing like that. And I was like, it don't really matter. Y'all my boys more than he is. So, I mean, relationships, they just kind of end, you know, all relationships end. And, uh, sometimes, sometimes it sucks, but I've gotten to this point now in my, in my later years of life where I don't really trip off of relationships ending. I've had business relationships end. I've had close friends that I had to fire, um, you know, uh, countless breaks, breakups, the divorce, you know, uh, relationships end. even loved ones that, that pass away that relationship. Well, when somebody passes away, that relationship doesn't really truly end. It just reaches a different level. Uh, that person's always with you. But uh, my outlook on relationships today is I, I get into it back and forth with my sister all the time. I, I know this seems kind of weird, but I'm not, I don't have relationships with people that are fake, right? Like there is a purpose for the relationship. Uh, not not saying that you know people are using each other, but there's a purpose for the relationship. So you know, I, I don't I don't really do a lot of small talk. I don't really do I don't have pointless relationships. I'm not going to just be your friend and go through the motions. Either I'm your friend and I'm your people, or I'm not. And that's kind of my outlook on relationships. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. That's just uh, kind of who I am. Uh, so. I hope that answered the question. Uh, but basically, I just I, I guess I don't get too attached to anything because growing up, it was not good to get too attached to anything. I have had, you know, strong attachments. I've been friends with my two boys for over 25 years now. They're, they're like my brothers. So I love them to death. And my bestie, me and my bestie have been, you know, super close for like well over 10 years. So um, and I have other friends from college that I'm still really, really cool with. Um so I, I definitely have long-term relationships, um, but there's there's a reason why they've been my long-term relationships. They just they just rock solid, and I know that I can I can uh, count on that. So 
I hope that answers the question. Um, so on to question number two, that was a long answer to the first question. Damn, I might not get to all these uh, all these questions on this episode. What led you to prefer to being alone? I don't I don't even know what that means, but uh, okay. Uh, do you like being alone or do you find solace or fulfillment in solitude? Uh, that was a weird way to ask that question. <laughs> um, um, I don't know that I like being, I don't even know. I don't even know what the, okay. I kind of know what this person is asking me. They kind of know me a little bit. And, um, the people that, that know me know that, you know, I like my Sunday fun day. My Sunday fun day is basically just me being alone and kind of recentering myself. And then I'll choose solitude a lot over going out and doing things with people. And there's a clear reason why uh, that this happens. It's because my actual job, uh, what I make my bread and butter on, I'm, you know, personal trainer, run the day-to-day operations of a fitness company, uh, managing people. So I am either training people or managing people all day long. Part of the aspect of training people is to constantly motivate. So you got to constantly be up. Any good trainer is going to be up because they have to have a positive attitude because most people don't like working out. So who's going to want to come and work out with you if you don't have a positive attitude? So part of that is just constantly being up, constantly being motivating, constantly being positive. And that wears on you uh, emotionally and mentally because there are days where you don't feel like being up like everybody. There are people that have good and bad days. Some people could have a bad day and they go into an office and, you know, they don't really need to deal with people, maybe a little bit, but they don't have to sit there and motivate people in order to motivate people on a consistent basis every day when somebody is doing something that they don't want to do, that they're doing it, but it's hard work. it's, It's a little bit different than coaching a sport because those people love what they do. Not a lot of people love working out. They are working out because of something, whether they got health history problems or they want to look better or they just want to feel better. But not a lot of people actually love the activity of working out. How can I make that easier for them? I need to be up. And I'm genuinely a super positive person for other people anyway. Uh, I would say in my personal life, I'm more of a realist, but when I'm dealing with other people, I'm typically, typically an optimist. I'm almost never a pessimist. Uh, I don't ever really look at the bad, the bad side of things. It's always, you know, you can get through this. Let me show you the good side. I don't think you're seeing this bright side. That's kind of who I am. So when you do that all the time, you kind of needed, you kind of need time to to, to recharge. And the last thing that you want when you're dealing with people all of the time, uh, and a lot of people don't have this in their job, but I'm dealing with people all of the time. I don't regret it. I, I, I love what I do, but I'm dealing with people all of the time and I'm motivating. And if I'm not motivating, then I'm actually managing or knocking out problems or, or fires, putting out fires that arise that sometimes you just get burnt out. And you just want to chill. And the last thing you want to do is try to go out and be engaging again. 
because once again, part of my personality is to be up. So when people hang out with me, they're like, well, Bruce is a lot of fun. And I am, you know, I am a lot of fun. But also sometimes I just don't want to be fun. Sometimes I just want to sit back and chill. And, and a lot of people don't understand that you just want to sit back and chill. So it's just easier and also way cheaper to stay home. You walk outside in DC, you just walk outside, you automatically spend a hundred dollars. So it's just way cheaper. And, uh, yeah, that's really all it is. It's not like, it's not like I choose to be by myself over other people or else I wouldn't do what I do. I, I love people. I love interacting with people. I love talking to people, uh, or else I wouldn't be doing the show. I wouldn't be doing the interviews. I love learning about people. I love people. Uh, but also at the same time, Got to recenter yourself because if not, you're going to go stir crazy. Uh, okay. <laughs> Next question. This is, this is personal. What qualities do you look for in a woman when you consider in a, a partner or, or I'm going to add the part relationships? Um, people close to me will say I have a certain aesthetic look that I look for uh, in a woman as far as, you know, what she looks like, height, weight you know, hair color, eye color, facial features and all that type of stuff. I will say that there is a little bit of truth to that. There is a certain look that I am absolutely attracted to. Um, but what I truly, truly, aside the physical characteristics, what I truly, truly look for in a woman is one, I would, I tend to want them to be smarter than I am. I tend to want all my friends and all the people that I interact with to be smarter than I am. Cause I feel like if, if there are people that are smarter than I am or more intelligent than I am, uh, there's a difference. So let me say more intelligent. I, I, I tend to want the, my, the people that I'm around to be more intelligent than me so that I can learn. I feel like that's the best way that you can grow. Um, is by having people around you that can, that you can learn something from. And even if they're more intelligent than me, I could still teach them something just by my outlook on life. So um, when I, it goes back to the relationships, like that's what I kind of mean that the, like, I kind of, I kind of want relationships that I have there to be growth uh, and no being stagnant. Um, I don't want that baseline. I want, I want growth. Um, so that's the number one thing. I kind of want the the woman to be more intelligent than I am. Kindness. Kindness is the most important thing. I cannot tell you how many times I've taken a girl out and she's just been rude to the waitstaff. That's an automatic red flag to me. Because if you can't treat people with respect that are quote unquote serving you. So in this hierarchy of, of going out, you have people that I'm not saying that they are, but in this hierarchy are beneath you because they're serving you. If you can't treat them with respect, that lets me know that in your day-to-day -day life, you just don't treat people with respect. Um, th their relationship with their family. I, my family would say that I don't spend enough time with them and they're absolutely right with that. But what they will also say that is, is that family is very, very important to me. Uh, so how they treat their family is very, very important. I'm not always there for my people. And I'm not just talking about my family, my blood family. I'm talking about my family, those people that's close to me. I'm not always there, you know, for them every day. But when shit hits the fan, that's my one S word for the episode. When shit hits the fan, I, well, I just said it twice. I'm there for them. 
I am right by their side, ready to walk them through whatever fire that they got to walk through. We're going to do it together. So I kind of want my partner to kind of be like that as well, to have that that sense of loyalty to those that they love. Um, you know, of course, I wanted to be, you know, attractive. You know, who doesn't want that? No, I mean, yeah, you know, have a little bit of booty. <laughs> Sorry, mama. But it's true. Um, but those are the, those are like the and and. And purpose. What I mean by purpose is like, I don't really care what you do for a living or how much money you make, but why are you doing it? And if you're, you're just doing it to sustain life, I get it. What do you do outside of that? That gives, gives you purpose. I feel like it's, it's so important for somebody to have a purpose and I don't, and it hadn't, it doesn't have to be this grandiose type thing, but just something that you do that that gives you purpose and you meaning. It could be something as simple as one person that I used to date used to do, it wasn't meal on wheels, but she used to do uh, shopping for people that couldn't get around for themselves. And, you know, she would go Saturday all day, the grocery shopping and drop off the groceries. It wasn't all day, but it was a big chunk of the day. And I would go with her and I, I could see the fulfillment that, that that she got from doing that. That gave her purpose. Uh, so purpose, that's it. it. Your life can't be your job. Even if you love your job, your life can't be your job. You got to have something else uh, that gives you meaning and purpose and drive. Uh, if your only reason for getting up in the morning is to go to work, that's going to be a, a, a sad existence. Even if you love your job, even if you absolutely are doing your dream job, that's going to be a sad existence. And then that's going to bleed off to your partner. Uh, because if you're not happy, that, that, if that part, partner cares about you, they're not going to be happy, which means that whole relationship is not going to be a good one. So, yeah, uh, definitely uh, that's what I look for in, in a partner. Um Okay, I guess I'm going to jump around to to one of the questions. Uh, okay, because this is like a redundant question, but in terms of relationship, what are the qualities and characteristics that you value most in a woman? I think I just answered that. Um, uh, another thing that I will say is her knowing her love language, because I know mine. Mine are... Uh, words of affirmation and physical touch. Those are, those are my two things. If a woman, if I'm really interested in a woman, like if I'm really digging, she's intelligent, she's got purpose and she, and I tell her like, here, here, here are my love languages. These are the two main is physical touch. And it doesn't, that doesn't have to be sexual, right? I mean, Yes, but not solely sexual. It could be something as simple as her and I sitting on the couch and she just rubbing my bald head because she just wants to touch me or and I hate doing this or uh, we walking down the street and her grabbing my hand to hold hands like I don't want to hold hands, but I want to hold hands. Right. Like I don't want to do it, but I want to do it. So that's what I mean by, by physical touch. Um, and then words of affirmation. Like, I, I know that's weird. Like most people are like, I don't need no words from affirmation, but you never realize you need it until you do. Uh, because I have such problems with relationships and connecting with people, 
I need the other person to tell me we're good. You know, I'm, you know, I ride for you. Like I, I need to hear that. Um, and yes, it comes from childhood trauma, as my sister would always say. But these, those are the type of things that I, that kind of need. Conversely, I want you should know what your love languages are, so that I can learn how to give you the attention that you actually want, not the attention that I think that you want, but the attention that you actually want. So many people don't understand what their partners actually want. Sometimes the partners don't understand what they want. You got to go through all of that stuff and and realize what it is. The, one of the girls I dated was like, I don't like flowers until I started giving her flowers. And then she was like, I kind of like getting flowers. I never thought I would. Okay. That's a new thing. That's gift giving. You like gifts and this particular gift makes you feel good. So I used to have flesh, fresh, not flesh, not flesh flowers, fresh flowers. Every time she came to my place in a vase and she liked that on, on special occasions, you know, I got her roses. That's just what it did. That once I realized that this type of thing, that she enjoyed that type of thing, then I did it. Some women out there just want a guy to take initiative, plan something. You ain't got to plan everything, but plan something, right? Say, hey, don't worry about it. I want to get together this weekend. You ain't got to worry about anything. This is what you need to wear, but we're going to go out. And it's going to be a surprise. Or maybe it's not a surprise. Maybe you tell her, but the fact that you planned something, that you planned something that was for her is a big deal. So I guess that's just my little two cents on relationships. Uh, what I particularly look forward to since everybody want to be in my business and ask those type of questions. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I am not going to answer the question of what led to the, to my divorce because that's me telling somebody else's story. And I don't feel like that's right for me to tell somebody else's story. So I'm not going to do that, but I will give advice on marriage in the next segment. Quit being born with your lazy ass, just eating dinner and watching TV every night. We're going to change it up tonight. Next time, pull out a Wongo puzzle and enjoy the conversation and fun that happens when people puzzle together. Wongo is a perfect balance of good challenge without being so hard you stop talking to each other and leave your family forever. I know I'm close to that almost every time me and my family get together. Trust me, once you try Wongo, you'll never go back to that boring, old-ass jigsaw puzzle. They are 100% wooden pieces, so they'll last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same, and you'll discover some fun whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. With stunning designs and unique shape, Wongo puzzles are a cut above the rest. I love doing the snow globe puzzle myself. It was great to pull out a puzzle and be done in a night and not have to worry about it being on the table for a week. Well, not on the table, on the floor. And definitely not for a week because crypto would mess it up. So what are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code unsolicited to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use code unsolicited to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. So in a continuation of the previous question, no, I'm not going to give the reasons for my divorce, but 
uh, the, the second part of that question was, do you have any advice on marriage? And I get this a lot from people uh, that, that want to know. I remember talking to a friend after that knew my ex-wife, that knew me and my ex-wife, knew us when we were dating, when we got engaged. And we had moved away and I came back to the building that I used to live in and I was talking to her. And she had recently gotten married. We got married around the same time. And she was like, well, how's, how's your wife doing? And I was like, oh, actually, we're going to get a divorce. We're not together anymore. And she started asking me all these questions like, how did you know that you needed to get a divorce? And, you know, what happened? I wasn't going to talk about what happened, but how did you know you needed to get divorced? What made you come to that decision? Blah, 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 blah. A couple of months later, I run into her and she is getting a divorce. And I was like, yo, was it the the conversation that we had that made you get into, that made you choose to get a divorce? Um, I never truly, truly asked that, but I assumed that that's what it was. And I know a lot of people who are divorced and I know some people that's been married for a long time. I will say, and it's funny because I was talking to one of my ex-girlfriends recently about this and, and we're cool. Uh, it was no beef. We're cool. We're just friends. And we were talking about communication is so key. We never actually had a problem communicating. Um, we, well, we did and didn't. But so often people don't communicate, right? Like once you get married, all that pride and all that stuff, that goes out the window, right? You need to tell your partner, hey, look, what your expectations are, the relationship, because those expectations will change over time because people change over time. If y'all met in your 20s and y'all are now currently in your 40s, y'all are completely different people because we evolve and we grow. So the person that you met when you were 20 is not going to be the person that you're with in your 40s. Y'all need to grow together. Your interests are going to change, right? Your tastes are going to change. If somebody starts showing an interest in something new, it's not. This, that shouldn't be an issue. You shouldn't take it as a personal offense where you're not the person that you used to be. Of course not. Who wants to be stuck being the same person they were five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years ago? So communication is key. Constantly revisiting your relationship, not revisiting an aspect of trying to find out if it works or not. That's not what I mean, but just touching bases and continuously learning each other. As you get in, get in relationships and kids get involved, you start to just become in a routine and you guys stop checking in on each other. Uh, you guys stop checking in on each other, like on a for real level and, and talking to each other on a for real level and just expressing how, hey, not nitpicking and fussing at the other person. Just like, look, I expect a little bit more from you, or I expect a little bit less from you. This is what I expect in the relationship. I, I can do that. I didn't know that's what you like. Communication is so vital and being honest, sometimes brutally honest is so vital. Y'all been together 10 years, five years, 10 years. There's no reason why you can't tell each other the truth and that y'all have to sugarcoat things. You don't have to sugarcoat things because y'all are in the trenches together. So you might as well keep it a buck keep it honest and just be vulnerable because if you can't be vulnerable to your spouse, your long-term partner, who the hell are you supposed to be vulnerable with? You got to have these conversations. Sometimes these conversations are really, really hard. Sometimes you, you know, you had to tell some embarrassing stuff. Uh, 
you know, I, I remember talking to, to Joshua Shea, uh, the porn uh, addict expert, and he talked about, you know, porn being a problem in relationships. And I would imagine that it's a problem in a lot of relationships that that, that men run to that and they can screw up their, their sex with their spouse and things like that nature. And then their spouse be, feels like they aren't being desired anymore. And, and, and he told me, like, sometimes guys just don't tell their spouse, yeah, I watch porn and I watch it maybe a little too much. Uh, and it causes major friction in the relationships. I mean, yeah, it's embarrassing if you are addicted to porn. It's embarrassing if you're addicted to anything. But if this person, if this person that you chose to to say those vows with in front of, maybe it wasn't in front of people that you love, but most times, in most cases, in front of people that you love, uh, and profess this love. And to, 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 to be committed to this one person, you need to be committed to that person. And that commitment means being honest, brutally honest, truthful, checking in, going out on dates with each other. Yeah, y'all got the kids. Maybe you don't have a little extra money. Dates don't have to be expenses, expensive. Dates could be a picnic at the park. It don't matter. It just needs to be you guys focusing on each other with no outside distractions because people change. And I often see people get divorces because they look up, they didn't communicate with each other. They look up 10 years down the road and they're like, I don't know this person. And you don't know that person because either you didn't take the time to try to get that know that person or that person didn't open up enough to tell you, Hey, look, things are, I'm changing a little bit. Maybe you, maybe you fall out of love with that person, uh, that you fell in love with. That was, 10 years ago, that was a 27 year old. Maybe you fall in love with that new person because you see that person's just grown. I, I would be curious to, to know what my girlfriends and my ex-wife that, because she met, I met my ex-wife when I was 26 years old. I would be curious to know what the girlfriends in my twenties think about me as a person. Now, if they got to know me, sat down and have a conversation with me because I, because I do know a few of my college homegirls that have known me since then. And they're like, you're a completely different person. And they've learned that through this podcast. They're like, you're a completely different person than what you were. And I was like, yeah, that was 20 years ago. Like I should have grown. I should have evolved. So that's what I would say is the key. You know, it's a cliche, but that's the key in any relationship is communication, brutal honesty, just keeping in the buck and being real with each other. And, um, Divorce should never be an easy thing that you come to. It should be the last resort. I see too many people getting divorced and they didn't even go to counseling. Like if you haven't gotten an outside party, an impartial outside party that y'all both will listen to and that y'all have actually tried through counseling to work on it and you just decided to get a divorce, then you was never really in it to be in it in the beginning. You gave up on it too easily. So that would be my advice for people in marriage is that it ain't easy. It's hard work. You signed up for it. There are some times where you just don't need to be together anymore. And, and, and every relationship has its, uh, is dawn and it's dusk, but you put in the work because maybe it's not the dusk of the relationship. Maybe it's just a new dawn. All right. uh, Next question. Uh, You frequently address topics related to the LGBTQ community. 
Could you share why these issues are important to you and why you feel prepared to discuss them? Yes. Okay. I, I know I've talked about this on one of my episodes, but I think it may have been uh, behind the, it's probably been behind the Patreon page because I've been nervous to share this uh, story because I get ashamed about talking about the person that I used to be. I used to be a 100% homophobic man. I mean, I used to say foul stuff about gay people, gay men in particular, not so much gay women, but gay men in particular. Uh, I was a misogynist. I had that toxic masculinity. I thought a man was supposed to be a certain way. Uh, and I, and I didn't, I didn't like gay people. Here's the kicker. Uh, until I got to the age of 23, I don't know that I had ever known a gay man in my entire life. So this fear was completely from the unknown, right? And the fear came from, I don't know, I, I, you know, I've talked to, I talked to my sister about this and I've talked to gay men about this. And my sister says something that made it clear to me that gay men kind of didn't. Like gay men were saying, were you scared that we were going to turn you gay? And it was like, well, no, like I, that wasn't anything that I was really scared about because I knew that I, I knew that I wasn't gay. There, there, there's nothing wrong with being gay, but I just knew that, you know, I preferred to be with women. Um, so I wasn't afraid of that. And my sister pointed out, you were afraid of being treated like a woman was being treated. I was like, what do you mean by that? You knew gay men were going to hit on you and you know men and men are aggressive just like the way you are when you hit on women. And I was like, ah, oh, there you go. That's what it is. Uh, it's tough for most men to say, but yeah, that's what it is. The, the aggression of men hitting on you, it, if it was just a simple, hey, how you doing? Would you like to you know, go on a date? Well, no, I'm not gay. And they leave you alone. Cool. And that happens. Right. That happens. But also there's been times where I've been out like and it's been very aggressive. And these things have been portrayed on television. You know, one of my favorite scenes of Martin was uh, when he was at the DMV and the guy that was a stereotypical gay man, you know, flamboyant. Think Jack from uh, Will and Grace uh, was hitting on Martin and was just being relentless about it. And that's what men fear. Right. And that's not really the case. I mean, it happens sometimes, right? But that's not really the case. Um, so I, I was working in the restaurant industry and worked with a lot of gay people. And I realized that the gay men weren't anything to be fearful of. Um, that was one. Two, they joked on my homophobia. Uh, like, like, what do you think this is going to do? Like, this is going to rub off on you. This is not a choice. This is who we are. Don't worry about it, Bruce. We know that you're not gay. Like, you don't have to worry. And I was like, I'm not worried about that. And I was like, you sure? You sure they're not worried about that? Um, but there was still, uh, and, and even still today, there is still a uncomfortableness when it comes to television and men's sex scenes, right? Like I'm still uncomfortable about that type of stuff, but you know what? I'm uncomfortable when two fat people have a sex scene. I'm uncomfortable when two ugly people have a sex scene. I'm uncomfortable with people that are missing limbs have a sex scene. 
Like it just that type of stuff makes me uncomfortable. Once I came to that realization that there are things that make me uncomfortable and it's okay to be uncomfortable with certain things. You don't have to being uncomfortable doesn't mean that you have to not mm, I'm trying to think of the right way to say that. I can be uncomfortable with it and still respect people. Um so yeah, there are still time like even now, and I would say that I'm trying to be a huge uh an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. But there are still some things that made me uncomfortable. But there was this one guy. His name was Josh. I tell this story to people that are really close to me. Uh <laughs> Josh was a gay, white, southern man that was also a Republican. So we could not be more different in every category. He's white, I'm black. He's a Republican, I'm a Democrat. He's gay, I'm straight. And he is was one of my dearest friends when we worked together. I mean, he's since moved away and we've lost contact. The last time I saw him was a couple of years ago at a bar and I made some embarrassing proclamation when we were at the bar. I put my arm around him and said, I love this man, this man broke me from my homophobia. I'm totally embarrassed the hell out of him, but he also knows that's kind of me um, and that it was coming from a genuine place. And we would talk about, you know, I remember he came to me one time and he was distraught because his boyfriend had broke up with him. And I was genuinely hurt. Like I wasn't skittish. I couldn't talk about it because that was my friend. I didn't want to see him hurt like that. Um, and we did. We became legitimately really, really good friends. So much so uh, it's 2006. Superman Returns comes out. Everybody that knows me knows I love Superman. And he had an extra ticket for the premiere of, of the movie that was in D.C. And he was like, hey, I have an extra ticket to the Superman Returns premiere. Would you like to go? I was like, hell yeah, I would like to go. He was like, hey, just to let you know my boyfriend will be coming with us. I said, so? And he was like, wow, you you came a long way. I hadn't even realized it. I was like, so I don't care I'm being around you and your boyfriend. That, and it was at that moment I was like, well, you know, I guess I guess I've grown up a little bit. So Josh is the reason why you will be afraid of a lot of things when you're not familiar with it. When you when you don't when you're not around people uh, that are different than you, you, you tend to be fearful of those things that are different than you. Um, that's the reason why I tell everybody, like, look at the circle of your friends and the people that are close to you. If they all look, sound, and act like you, how are you really growing? How are you really developing? Right? Like, hopefully, your circle should be like a rainbow, a rainbow of people from all different walks of life so that you can learn and grow and experience new things. And I'm so grateful to not only Josh, but those guys that worked at Hard Rock Cafe with me for opening up my eyes. So I will continue and always be a strong advocate for the LGBTQ plus community because I see them as people who are being marginalized and attacked. And me as a black man in this country, I know how that feels and I can never sit back and watch somebody that's being marginalized and attacked and not do anything or say anything about it. So that's the reason why uh, I frequently bring up topics about the LGBTQ plus community. And I make a lot of people uncomfortable with that. And I don't really give a damn. This is my show. I'm going to talk about what the hell I want to talk about. You can listen or not listen, but I'm going to do my thing. 
All right, next question. I've noticed that you often discuss conservatives and Republicans kind of attacking them a little bit. Is there a particular reason behind this or is just your personal preference? Okay, so I I have friends who are conservatives and Republicans, right? It's that rainbow coalition of, of people that are close to me. Just because you don't think like me doesn't mean that I hate you. First of all, I only hate one person and it's a former client and I'm not going to get into this, this particulars about that. Uh, but I tend to not hate people. And uh, I tend to think for the most part, no matter what your ideology is, I can learn something from you. If, if you have an intelligent reason for having the ideology that you have. For those people who are... Trump supporters just to be Trump supporters. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is say the things that he does isn't racist or sexist or misogynist. You really aren't listening. And then that means that you just believe those things. I really don't have too much to say to you about that because I can forgive people for voting for him the first time. But he showed who he was uh throughout his presidency and the last 3 years so if you still rock with him then there's no really I can't even find common ground with you for us to have an intelligent conversation I can't because all he spewed is hatefulness there is not any love that he comes out with except for love for himself so but I don't I don't dislike Republicans or conservatives and not at all. I, I, I am a, a fan of John Kasich. He was a former governor of Ohio. Uh, I like Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland. Chris Christie, I don't believe in all of his policies, but I like I, I, I tend to think that he is a dec- decent human being and is intelligent in his policies. And he just has a different way of looking at the world. And and I don't think a different way of looking at the world is wrong because I don't think I have all the right answers. Anybody that thinks they have all the right answers are a fool. If you think you're right all the time, you're a fool. A wise man can admit when they're wrong. And I don't have all the right answers. And sometimes when I think that I'm right, I learn different things and I'm just like, hmm, I wasn't far off, but uh, maybe I should think about this. So I and, and and I often talk to my sister about the conversations veering off as us attacking conservatives and Republicans. And I try to bring it back to saying that I will call out liberals and Democrats uh, just the same when they're doing foul stuff. Uh, when you do something foul, I will be like, I'm going to call you out on that. Um, it It just... In the era that we are now, there are more, the loudest voice in the Republican Party seems to be spewing a lot of hate, whether it's hate for the LGBTQ plus community, whether it's hate for women and them being in control of their bodies, or if it's hate for minorities or people of color, it's a lot of hate. And it's a lot of, this is our country, where it really isn't. It's all of our countries. It's like, it's everybody. It's our country. This country has always been a melting pot of bring it, bring a, bring us everybody. That's who we are as Americans. American America is not supposed to be cis, white, cis, 
Christian male. That's not America. That's not. And that seems to be what the loudest group in the Republican Party are, are, are kind of running on. Um, but you have a lot of people that 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 are running that unfortunately are not going to get too far in, in the Republican Party that uh, that don't run on those things. Uh, Mitt Romney doesn't run on those things. Uh, you, you know, unfortunately, Adam Adam Kinninger was just, you know, was a House of Representative and they ran him out. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, I don't know what he stands for. I, I don't. Uh, I don't want to attack conservatives and Republicans. Conservatives are tend to believe that you could do things by yourself and the government needs to be limited. And I would say that's really easy to say to tell somebody to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Uh, but it's really hard to do when you don't have boots. And unfortunately, a lot of people in this country don't have boots. So they can't pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Uh, so that and I think that they're if they were in certain communities that they would see that, but they're either they're not, or they choose not to see it. But I don't think every conservative or Republican, I think that's what that question was leading to is a bad person. I just, I just don't believe that. And I don't think, um, I don't think the Republican party is gone. I think that, uh, I think that the, the people that are the worst part of the party are, are really loud, but I still believe that there are some really, really good people and that are conservatives and Republicans that just think a little bit differently than I do. I believe in um, helping uh, those people that are less fortunate and, and realizing that uh, everybody has a different walk in life. And sometimes people can't pull themselves out of bootstraps, but sometimes those people are just exceptional. Um, not everybody could come from the same area and make it out. So sometimes they need a little bit of help. And um, I hope that answers the question. Um, I, I try to stay. I, I try to call everybody out. Um, it just seems a, a lot of times conservative Republicans are just the loudest people, the loudest people, not the entire Republican Party, but it just seems like the loudest people are hateful. And so I got to call that out. Uh, what motivated you to start your podcast? I think I already addressed that on the last episode. I don't think I really needed to address it a- again. Uh, was there a specific goal or message you wanted to convey to your audience? Think. Just think. Um, I, I just talked to my sister about it the other day, and I feel like a lot of people just don't uh, just don't think uh, that they're given information. The worst thing in the world that you can give to people who don't think is a lot of information because they won't sift through it and analyze it. They'll just take it in and don't really know what they're taking in and just regurgitate what they get back. And a lot of people don't check sources, but that's just a journalist in me. You know, my first major was journalism and it was always about checking sources, checking things where you come from. And people will send me stuff and be like, hey, what do you think about this? And I was like, "Uh, look at a source. Like, no, I don't believe anything what this person has to say, but they make a good point. No, they don't make a good point. And look at the sources it's coming from. The source isn't reliable. Um, so that's what I'm trying to convey to my audience to think. Um, how do you typically find guests for your podcast? Various ways. Sometimes it's people that I know that I'm just like, hey, you have an interesting story. Would love to get you on the podcast. Sometimes it's random conversations with strangers. 
Uh, that happens from time to time where I go out just because of who I am. I'm an inquisitive person about people. So I will be that person that makes things uncomfortable. Like, oh, I, I hear that accent. Where are you from? Or I see you wearing something. You know, what is that about? Like, I, and, and I don't know how I get away with it. Some people say it's just they could tell that I don't have any malice behind my questions and I'm just genuinely curious. I'm genuinely curious about people. Um, so it's the things that I, I, you know, how do I find them? We are on uh, a particular podcast site where people pitch themselves to us. So I have to routinely go through thing, uh, go through like this, this long list of stuff and see what they want to talk about. And if I find some interest in it, then, then I'll interview them. Sometimes I'm asking people to come on because I feel like they have an interesting story. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how I find guests. Uh, do I have a specific criteria of topics that I look for in guests? No. Interesting story. Right. Like I have to think of I I think of when I think about interviewing somebody, I immediately th start thinking of the questions. And if I can't come up with five quick questions in the first three minutes of thinking about the interview, then I know that that interview really isn't interesting to me. And if it's not interesting to me, it won't be interesting to you guys. So uh, there isn't any specific criteria except that's the criteria. I have to be interested in the story. And if I could find some interest in the story, then I could do it. Uh, okay, this would be the final question because this is running long. And this is an interesting story. What inspired you to pursue fitness? Uh, do you have a favorite client? No, I love all my clients the same. Uh, or a success story you would like to share? Let's just go with what inspired me to, to start fitness. So it is 2003, I'm 23 years old, um, dating this girl. I'm working in a restaurant business and she's saying to me, hey, you starting to get a little chubby because you're out of college now. So you're not working out and doing the things that you normally would do. You, you know, you live in life and I'm in a restaurant business, which means I'm eating and drinking a lot. So I was getting big for me. And she was like, you know, why don't you start working out? And I was saying to her, don't be worried about what I'm doing. I still got you like I was still getting women. Right. Because, you know, I was cheating a little bit back in the day, but I'm still getting women. So I was like, I'm still getting attention. Matter of fact, the restaurant I was working at, they labeled me basically the hot guy. So why the hell would I think that I needed to get in shape? There were, at the restaurant that my girlfriend at the time worked at, there was a gay host. Um, and, and the only thing, the only reason why I bring up gay is because I know that gay men will be brutally honest to you where your boys would just be like, your boys ain't going to tell you that, that are, aren't gay. Yo, you gain a little bit of weight. You starting to look a little pudgy. They don't really care about that stuff. A gay man will put, will put it out there for you. So he was an older gay man. And I walked in and he was like, mm, Bruce, you turned into a little chunky monkey. And I said, what did you say? You heard me. You turned into a little chunky monkey. You gain a little bit, that did it. That I, she, my girlfriend at the time, she got mad. She was like, I've been telling you for weeks and and you didn't want to lose the weight, but he said something to you. I was like, I don't know what it was, but then nobody else called me a chunky monkey. That hit hard. Um, so I started, I, I signed up for a gym and I started losing weight because I was a former athlete. So I kind of knew what to do and I did lose weight. The only problem was, is I didn't know how to really lift weights anymore. Uh, not for real, for real, not to do a real program. So I was like a skinny fat. And there was a personal trainer who later became my mentor 
that lived in the building. And I remember asking him a bunch of questions about personal training. And then finally he was like, you know, you could just hire me. So I did. I hired him and he got me into great shape. I mean, I looked, I looked great. And he said, you know, what are you doing with yourself right now? And at that time I was in the restaurant business. I was uh, doing a little bit of marketing and I had owned a piece of a wrestling company, but I was kind of like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I was thinking about moving to LA at the time to really, really get into marketing. And he was like, you know, until all that, I think you would be a really good personal trainer, you know, with your personality and the fact that you've taken to this and the fact that you've studied education, you would know how to put the programs together really easily. I think that you would be really good at that. I said, okay, yeah, you know, I could do it as a little, you know, little side gig. I'm always, I'm always looking for little side gigs that I could do any way that I can generate income. I'm always looking for that. So got my certification. I started working for him. Um, and that's really how I got into fitness. He, I was lucky because he had been somebody who had been training for 20, 30 years and had dealt with professional athletes. So not only did I study to get my certification, I was getting hands-on training with him and really showing me the do's and don'ts. And then luckily I had that you know, education background from school where it taught me lesson plans. So I'm really, really good at program design because lesson plans and program designs are the same thing. But how did I get into fitness? All because a gay host in Washington, D.C. called me a chunky monkey. And I didn't want to be chunky no more. (laughs) And that's the story of how I got into fitness. But on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Remember, like, comment, share, subscribe, 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 subscribe to our YouTube channel. But until next time. I'll holla. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, Audi 5000. Peace.